Welcome to the podcast that reunites members of the PC Zone team to bring you stories from beyond the games. My name is Richie Shoemaker, and for this episode, we go back to June 2001 when the spice was flowing. Today we're looking at issue 103 of PC Zone, which if you don't have a copy to hand and why would you, there's a link in the notes to download a free PDF version so you can read along. Issue 103 was published in May 2001 and dated June and was the final issue for Baron Mark Hill as the magazine's news editor. He joins me, somewhat reluctantly I think, <laughs> along with Duke Martin Corder, Reverend Mother Rihanna Pratchett and loyal freelancer and occasional emperor of the known universe, Keith Pullen. Welcome, everyone. Hello, thank you. Hello. Let's start with you, Keith. Tell us how you came to work on PC Zone. Um, yeah, I was... So what happened was I just moved up to London. I was working for a company called Entertainment Online. They were, they were based in Leicester. They were kind of this... They were so far ahead of their time, and they were... Uh, really, they were a, a, an online um, subscription service games provider. Um, and that was back in 1997. So they were way ahead of the curve. But um, I, I think I moved to London for some reason to be closer to Leicester, not that much closer than Bournemouth, to be honest with you. But um, I was made redundant about a week after moving up to London. And uh, I knew uh, Matt, I was in touch with um, Mallow, Paul Mallinson. And he just said, oh, do you want to give me a hand doing some news on um, PC Zone? And I said, yeah, I'll give it a go. So, um, yeah, I, I did that and a, a few more bits and bobs. I think I showed I could hit a deadline, um, ended up writing a few game guides, and then somehow got the Dear Keith section and then found myself fully ensconced as a, as a regular freelancer doing the whole shebang. Excellent use of the word ensconced there. <laughs> um, were you on PC Power with, with Steve Hill? Yeah, with Steve Hill and, uh, well, um, Mallow wasn't on PC Power, but he was part of the sort of um, the Paragon, um, Paragon yeah. portfolio. I think he was doing CD-ROM user, something like that. But uh, yeah, we stayed in touch, um, myself, Mallow, Steve Hill. And um, yeah, it was it was down to Mallow, basically, that I, I started at PC Zone. Good old Mallow. Yeah. Rihanna, um, Rihanna, you were still fairly new to PC Zone. Uh, 103 was your fifth? issue i think i feel yeah i'm not sure when i started um because i started as editorial assistant and i've obviously gravitated towards staff writer which must have been one small step up and then i remember i used to edit the back of the magazine so that must have been a bit later uh, because someone i think um someone else is doing that in this issue so i must have been like i must have got like half half a step up from editorial assistant but yeah i mean i was originally i did my degree in journalism and, uh, you know, a few years before, and I just started my last year doing some freelance work for Minx magazine. Um, and that was sort of aimed at 18 to 24 year old women. And uh, it was a little bit more rock and roll than a lot of the, the women's magazines at the time. And I'd written something about female gamers for them. And I'd written something about, I think I'd reviewed some Neil Gaiman graphic novels um, and they asked me to review games for them. So I did a little kind of corner of the magazine for about four or five issues before it sort of redesigned and became all about lipstick and boys. Um, but it was enough to get me on press lists. 
Uh, and I, so I started getting code through and it was like, oh, I'm not sure what to do with it. And I was uh, I was a big reader of PC Zone and uh, I met Daniel Emery at uh, a, I think it was a launch for Tomb Raider 3 at the Natural History Museum. And I was there as my dad's plus one and we were on the same table as, as uh, Dan. And mm. he, he kind of mentioned that he was starting up uh, a new games magazine, which was PC Gear. Mm. And so I'd started freelancing for them. Uh, and then sort of I was recommended to, to PC Zone and I did my interview with you, in fact, Richie. Yes. Uh, where I talked a lot about Diablo 2 and I think you came out of the interview and said Diablo 2 couldn't shut her up. Yeah, because I'm not a big Diablo fan, so that I don't think yeah. I endeared you to <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure my my surname necessarily endeared you to me. So I, I was I did pretty well considering I was losing on the in the Pratchett front and the uh, the uh, Diablo front. But we can tell that story later. Yes, we will. Sure. <laughs> so Rihanna, you started then when we were in the Bowles Over Street basement, and we moved over to Cleveland Street, didn't we? So with this issue we're talking about today, 103 was is the Cleveland Street one. So I guess things did. Things were quite unsettled, maybe. Do you, do you have a memory of it being a bit I don't, manic? Rihanna, was, you were, yeah, Rihanna no. was never at the original office. No, no, no I was she, never there. I, I was, sure I was she, at Cleveland. Well, we, PC no. Gear, yeah. we launched PC Gear in, in um, Balls Over Street. No. We did. No. We did. No, you we did. didn't. We did. No. We did. No. <laughs> I, never, I never went to Balls Over Street. I just... I was just, I it must have been right at the very end. It was, left, yeah, it was at the end. Well, I'm sure we... Okay, never mind. Who cares? I, I yeah, I definitely started my job in the court in the very very corner desk of the lowest basement floor in in Cleveland Street. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Because I I always sat next to Mark and I and I was like fell over something or strangled myself with my own earphone and things like that. But I was yeah very tucked away in the corner, so yeah I don't I don't remember that I don't think I ever even went to the Bolsover Street one, but yeah it was definitely. Oh, I was going to say because you you probably missed dodged a bullet there and probably typhus and various other diseases. <laughs> um, Martin Corder, so had you just moved up from staff writer at this point? Yeah, I must have done because I became section editor. Yeah, you had to do the the most boring part of the magazine, which was the back bit. That was that was that was your kind of pathway into then moving onto a more interesting section. Um, so I was editorial assistant and then got promoted at my end of my first day to staff writer. And then, I don't know, 15 issues later, became section editor. And then when Mark left, I mean, this must have been almost the end for me because when Mark left, I then became reviews editor. So this must have been like just at the end of me being kind of section editor of the back part of the magazine. Yeah, so which means you you didn't have to make the tea anymore, I guess, when Rihanna started. <laughs> but I think being a gen- being a gentleman, you did. Um, yeah, I'm sure I still made a couple of cups here and there. Can you remember how anyone how anyone had their tea twenty years on? I can remember how I had my tea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone asked me to make tea. Why would I remember what your tea was like twenty five <laughs> years later? Because as as we found out when we last had you on the podcast, Martin, you remember it. A lot of stuff. I do remember a lot of stuff. I also remember the fact that despite making tea for about two months at the start of my career, to this day, for some reason, you're still obsessed with me making tea. <laughs> uh, I could do with one now, actually, but never mind. I have to wait. Well, you, you know where your kettle is, so <laughs> off you go. We'll, we'll wait. I remember tales of Martin making tea before I even got onto the magazine, but I don't think anyone else ever asked me to make tea. 
I don't know, maybe, you know, having a female member of staff, it seemed like a more of a cliche thing to do. So perhaps it, it stopped when I joined. Well, when you did, when you joined, Rihanna, how did you feel? Because it was quite, over the year, over the last couple of years, I've spoken to quite a lot of people from Dennis. And in the kind of previous magazines, like your, your Spectrum, your Sinclair Zero, there was quite a lot of, not a lot of female tourist staff, but, um, you know, a few. And all, weirdly, Zone just became very male. And how how did you feel going into that environment? Um, I, I mean, I was an only child, so I never had any kind of siblings to sort of say, oh, you know, this is what girls like, this is what boys like. So I kind of just went with what seemed interesting. And, you know, I had a dad that was into computers and electronics and things like that. So I got into gaming when I was about six years old. So and I, I genuinely was a, a big reader of Zone um, before, I, before I worked there. And I really used to love the the covers we did with the sort of single artwork and it was like stylish and funny and kind of anarchic and, and I really really enjoyed it so I don't know I I was just quite used to being and well taking on things where I was often the only woman in the room like you know whether it's karate or, or judo or you know whatever I was off I was often finding myself doing things I just found interesting that there weren't particularly any um other women doing so it felt quite like normal to me I guess um I mean I think Ruth wasn't there at the time mm. so I think uh Ruth came along later who was our um was she the, the head sub-editor or at one point yeah managing editor um, I think she was wasn't she but I don't think there were any during my time there. I don't think there were any other female writers. But I do remember um, Phil being quite delighted to have a female member of staff that he could dress up instead of dressing up Daniel Emery, uh, who had oh, been yes. like the, the, usually the one that was <laughs> yeah. like dressed up as a female character. And I think he kind of missed that, to be honest. <laughs> um, finally, Mark Hill. Then, sorry, you've been uh, left to the end. Oh, I don't care. Just <laughs> Issue one hundred three was your last on the staff. Although reading your news column, it seems like you were dragged kind of kicking and screaming out of retirement. Was it right that you left the previous issue and then we asked you back again? Is that what happened? I have no idea. <laughs> I really don't have any recollection of it at all. I, mean, I will say that reading through that column now, it, it reads like a real desperate cry for yeah. help. <laughs> I was I was thinking that as well, Mark. You were very angry. I read it earlier. Yeah, exactly right. I, I read right. it and I thought, <laughs> one, yeah, desperate cry for help. Two, incredibly self-indulgent. It's like, who cares? Who wants to read this stuff about me? Well, that's the zone way, isn't it? I know. It, it read like, I hate everyone, basically. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think, I don't know how long I was news editor, but I think that probably kind of really soured me because I just... Editing the news section was felt like a really pointless endeavor. I mean, this is a time where you just scour the internet for stories and then write them up for people to read like three or four weeks later when they're no longer news. Yeah. Do you know what my worst nightmare was when you left? Being made news editor. Yeah, exactly. That I'd be made news editor. That was an absolute nightmare. And I actually went to Dave and Richie the day after you left. And I was like, well, you know, if news editor's up for grabs. I'll do it, but I think I'd be much better suited oh, wow. to review. I remember anything. that now. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I'm like, news really isn't my thing, but reviews and previews. Now that's that I could get on board with, and you were like, "Yeah, okay, you can be reviews editor." So I actually didn't, and then Anthony Holden came in and did news editor. So yeah, he got to do it instead. 
<laughs> I didn't mind. I didn't mind doing news. I I quite liked it. But you're you're you've got a real affinity with news. You've always like ever since I knew you, you're always brilliant at kind of writing headlines and strap lines and getting those news. You know, getting those news stories and stuff. That just wasn't me. Um, so yeah, the fact that I then ended up going on to news editor instead of news editor was just a massive relief for me. So so Mark, what, what I did apart from hating news and well, pretty much everything you wrote in the issue is full of bile and hatred, but. <laughs> That's just who I am. <laughs> why, apart from d- hating news, is, was there another reason why you left? I mean, did you did you like PC Zone? Yeah, of course I did. Um, I think part of it probably was the move to Bolsover. Um, I really didn't like like this big open plan, brightly lit um, environment. Yeah. Um, you know, because Bolsover was like a dank basement, but it, it felt like. I don't know. It felt like home in a way, except for Chris Chainsmoking in front of me. <laughs> Bolsover always found like uh, felt like someone's gaming room. You know, it felt, it felt it like a place you just go and hang out and play games and and do a do exactly. A bit of work. It didn't feel like work. Yeah. It had such a great vibe yeah. to it that first place, and then once we moved to what was it? Was it Cleveland Street? Mm. Yeah, the, the, some of the soul of the magazine was lost after we moved there. Like I know exactly what you mean, Mark. It just wasn't the same place anymore after that. Yeah, and like the choice between. Going Going into that office every day, I'll kind of just staying at home, not leaving the house. It's like, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't too difficult to make. And and also, I just I was never interested in climbing the ladder anymore. I was I didn't want to become reviews editor. I didn't want to become editor eventually. I'd seen all the politics that were involved in that, mm. and it was just not something that interested me at all. I do remember you talking about that actually. And actually, when you after you did go freelance, you did seem a lot happier when you when you did come into the office. So I guess there's no regrets there. None at all. Right. Let's start with a bit of news then. Um, For June 2001, um, George W. Bush makes his first European trip as US president, where he meets... Vladimir Putin, and famously said of the Russian dictator, I was able to get a sense of his soul. What soul? <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, the Labour Party won a second UK general election, prompting the now almost likeable William Hague to announce his re- resignation as Tory leader. <laughs> National treasure now, of course. Um, top 10 movies in the UK for June 2001 included the very first Fast and the Furious. Anyone? I've never seen any of those. Don't like cars. No, me neither. Um, what else? Um, Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, Steven Spielberg's AI, and uh, Moulin Rouge, which I've written down here as Moulin Rogue, bizarrely. <laughs> that sounds like a news headline. Yeah, that would be one of my news headlines, certainly. Yeah. Um, in games news, Sega stops manufacturing the Dreamcast and pulls out of the console race. The Game Boy Advance is released outside of Japan. Uh, new releases include Baldur's Gate, Throne of Baal, which I remember Rihanna being very into, um, Sonic Adventure 2 for the doomed Dreamcast, and Final Fantasy X for PS2. Although we should point out, of course, that even though it said June on the cover, the issue would probably have been written in April or May. So with that in mind... Um, probably talk about some of the news in the magazine and and the first news story was an rpg called torn can anyone remember what happened to that got cancelled didn't it pretty quickly i think yeah i think no sooner had mark written about it it got cancelled (laughs) 
That was like 90% of stories for that. <laughs> Probably because the tone of his uh, article, I imagine. So this Max Payne was apparently was a long-delayed game. I, I have no recollection of that. From the article, it seems like it had been kind of announced a long, long time before and kept getting delayed. <laughs> no, I don't remember it being delayed either. I kind of just remember it turning up. I remember it was obviously Duke Nukem forever being forever, but I don't remember the problem with, with Max Payne. What I did like about your news, though, Mark, is um, you got one article where you kind of have a go at the Amer- Americans' love of guns, and then in, over the page you have a go at Americans being slightly larger <laughs> <laughs> than other races. And it's, uh, yeah, there's a bit of a theme there. I think, in the news section for me. I, I tended to be very insulting for some reason. I remember I insulted um, everybody who, who did live role-playing in, in one issue, and I was forced to issue an apology. Oh, really? Jeez. Didn't the magazine have to give them an out-of-court settlement as well? <laughs> Probably. I think they did. I Actually, you, you called them psychotic, <laughs> and, they asked, and, and they complained, and then the then-publisher basically then had to didn't you have to write them an apology or something and i think they sent them some money for their live role-playing association or something because they didn't want to be sued from what i remember yeah i remember writing (laughs) an apology in the magazine but Uh, i don't know what happened outside of that yeah no i think i think there was some some money involved And, and the reason why Mark left PC Zone becomes ever clearer. <laughs> the, tr- yeah, the truth that finally comes out. <laughs> the sordid, disgusting truth of what really happened. <laughs> I, I did enjoy seeing that in that um, Soldier of Fortune 2 news piece. Um, I was a proud liberal snowflake even then, in my views about it. It was nice seeing some uh, Neverwinter Nights there because that was my, f- well, a few issues later, that was my first cover, my first of two covers that I had. Um, I think I ended up doing a lot of RPGs. I never really got many of the like the big games because there were so many. Well, you, you know, there's a queue of people waiting to do them. But, yeah, I remember Neverwinter Nights being my, my first cover and Phil giving me, like, a printout of it. And so, yeah, it was nice to see the the Neverwinter of our content in Bulletin and remembering back to those times. Yeah, you did pretty much... Yeah, you took over all the RPGs in the end, didn't you? I think... Um... I, well, I don't know. There, there seemed to be less... Fewer takers for the, for RPGs. Yeah, and maybe you thought it was a suitable genre for a lady. <laughs> I, th- I think a lot of the freelancers didn't want to do the RPGs because it meant spending forever, um, but still getting the same rate. <laughs> they had to play the game for like sixty hours, but still got the same rate. <laughs> Let's talk about Dune then, which was um, the cover game. We missed the trick by not calling it the Dune issue, I think. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, which I I only realised when 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 looking at today, when before we, we recorded this podcast, was was it was the last RTS from from Westwood. Yeah, and it was what the the sort of the third last game they made, wasn't it? They only made CNC Renegade and Earth and Beyond after that, and then they were they were sort of consumed by EA, weren't they? And then shut down. So, who made Tiberian Sun? That was uh, that was them. That yeah. was Westwood. I yeah. Think, yeah. 
But yeah, I thought that was before that after they got bought by EA or something though they became something like EA San Francisco or I don't know I can't remember exactly what it was. Called, uh, was it EA EA LA or EA Redwood or something? Yeah, like that. yeah, something like yeah. that. But I think Tiberian Sun came out after June because Tiberian Sun was my second cover and it was a preview. Mm. We did a cover for Generals, no. but that wasn't Westwood. And uh, not Gen. Yeah, CNZ Generals. No, no, it wasn't. It was Tiberian Sun. No, we ne- we never did a cover of Tiberian Sun. It was a preview cover. Oh, possibly a preview. That came out. Tiberian Sun did come out before this, though. I think. Yeah. Did we do a cover? Wow. Okay, maybe. Yeah, because I, I I kind of misremembered it because it was all special when you got your own cover, and I so th- that's the two I remember getting was Tiberian Sun and um and Neverwinter Nights. And Neverwinter Nights was definitely the first. Yeah. So Keith. The June game. Yeah. You were pretty down on the game. I was scathing, wasn't I? I, I read through it again today and oh, I didn't have very much, um, uh, you know, it was not complimentary at all. But the thing is, do you know what? I have no memory of ever playing this game. <laughs> this is a common theme throughout these podcasts. Does anybody remember this game? <laughs> I mean, nobody I've spoken to remembers it either as part of the the June series. I do. I remember it because you got really big sandworms. You did have big sandworms, big blocky sandworms. They just yeah. sort of came, yeah, they came out and, you know, swallowed up half your army. That was, I re- yeah, I remember playing, because I was big, big into those RTS, I remember playing it and enjoying it and kind of, I think I probably enjoyed it more than you, but yeah, I definitely remember I think you definitely enjoyed it more than me, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, I gave it 76, but honestly, it reads like you know a sort of 50 or 60 or um Mm. somewhere around there and i mean just at one point i wrote um precisely how many more times will westwood remix the same game and callously flog it for 30 quid come on guys innovate you've done it before and you can do it again and as the saying goes nothing is more dangerous than an idea when you have only one idea and i mean i why i can't believe i was that harsh but i mean i obviously didn't like it and i think that there were towards the end of the review that i, I was maybe slightly more um complimentary mm. but yeah i mean i don't know i mean that i think i was with without actually remembering the game particularly well um and the fact that westwood kind of was shut down maybe two or three years later i, I get the feeling at that point that maybe the, you know that their their heyday had passed um and yeah i think i think they only lasted less than a year i think they were gone yeah early 2002 yeah i wonder whether it was you know i mean there are always stories in development that we never we'd never know about but i just mm-hmm. wonder whether the, the whole um sort of uh, ea takeover pressure from ea to to deliver to a you know particularly uh taxing uh schedule had an effect on it because it it wasn't you know, it wasn't the quality that we were used to from past Westwood games, that's for sure. Probably didn't help that um, Shogun Total War had come out a few months earlier as well, yeah. which kind of was a massive game changer for the whole RTS genre. So then to kind of bring something out that is a bit derivative and isn't as good as your previous work, and obviously it feels quite dated compared to something like Total War, yeah, it was quite a bad time probably for it to come out. Well, Total War kind of changed everything, didn't it? I think because I think... Uh, RTSs were still fairly popular, but I think possibly we'd got a bit bored of that kind of format. Yeah. You know, the the drag a box around a hundred, you know, all these troops and just send them off. Yeah. 
Whereas we had Total War, we had, I think, Paradox were just coming into their own, I guess, with their kind of hardcore RTS stuff. Well, not RTS games, but they yeah. are all the time, but you know. That was the thing, wasn't it, about those kind of early-ish RTS games? It really would be, you'd build up a huge force, you'd select all of them, and you'd click in the middle of the enemy's base, and you'd just let them get on with it. And then suddenly we had Total War that had proper tactics and terrain and weather and, you know, proper formations. And suddenly, you know, it was proper strategy rather than just kind of trying to hog all the kind of resources and build the biggest army and then, you know, you're going to win. Isn't StarCraft still a hugely popular, um, like, eSport, particularly um, places like I think like so, Korea? but I think it's the exception rather than the norm, though, isn't it? It's not like RTS is still a massive, especially like the old... No, not for eSports, but yeah, I remember it, it them being popular. And I remember taking part in a Cossacks tournament in the in my second week at P, PC Zone, a 24-hour Cossacks tournament down at the playing fields. Um, but now I think you're right, Richie, I did misremember and it wasn't Tiberian Sun because I think that came out before I joined Zone. But now I can't think what it could have been. It was a strategy game. It was like it was like a Command & Conquer game and it was my second cover. Now I romanticise, oh, everyone remembers their covers and clearly I can't remember it. <laughs> It was an RTS game and it was a yellowy cover. That's all I've got. Oh, I'll have to try and remember that one. Um, back to June, I was um, recently speaking to the guys responsible for issue one. And obviously issue one had a review of June 2 in it. Yeah. it what's interesting in that is obviously it was, well, you know, seven seven years before this issue. And it's quite interesting to read because there's absolutely no mention of the phrase real-time strategy. Because it's it's turn based, isn't it? Yeah. Oh well, no, June not June two, no. Westwood's. Oh, right. So which one am I? Th- oh, because I I thinking on the first June, which was uh the cryo one, which was turn based. That yeah, that was a kind of adventurey kind of. Yeah, you got you got to you got to ride the worms. Clearly, yeah. the worm and you know the worms are the only things I remember about uh June games. Yeah. So that was that was the cryo game. That was around ninety two, maybe ninety one, ninety two. And then June 2, the Westwood's first RTS, that was 93. So that was in the first first ever issue of PC Zone. But it was, I mean, June, June 2 was genre-defining, really, wasn't it? I mean, like you say, yeah. Richie, there, there was no real term for real-time strategy game until June 2 came around. And then it's, you know, it's gameplay, it's production values, um, visuals, everything just all came together. And, and boom, suddenly a, a new genre was born. Yeah, thinking back to the cover itself, because obviously it's kind of, takes up most of the cover and I, I'm I'm trying to think back about how it came about I do what I do remember is I do remember Keith you and Dave talking on the phone about the review and you saying it wasn't that good mm. and I do remember Dave talking to EA and saying look it's not going to be a it's not going to get an award and it was all very um civilized because yeah. normally in the past we'd you know trash a game slightly and uh you know the, the publisher would pull the advertising and we'd not speak to them for six months and all this kind of stuff but yeah you were kind of okay with it almost as if they knew it wasn't great <laughs> yeah <laughs> they were like 76 no well, way that's the highest score we've got <laughs> <laughs> it's about 30 percent more than we were anticipating <laughs> yeah it was, it was yeah it was, it was quite rare to, to not have any comeback at all on that so and that's it's a strange issue because it's there isn't really a you know normally you have a, an issue and a particular game stands out the game you know that's the whole issue is kind of based around that particular game but 
you know, this issue is kind of a bit all over the place, and yet it's quite a busy issue, and you know, June is just part of that. Yeah, it's it's strange. I mean, I, again, as sort of as we said earlier, EA maybe at that point knew what they would be doing with Westwood Studios, or, or at least what Westwood had become within uh, EA, and so they they were, yeah. May, Maybe it just really wasn't one of their priorities. They they had other plans, and um, yeah, Westwood uh, and June were not part of it, and they were just they were they probably already moved on. Yeah. So um, other June games. I mean, around this time there were there were kind of those. I think Cryo did more June games, didn't they? They did that kind of. There was a June series, wasn't there? A mini series. I think there was a game or two based on. Does anyone remember? I mean, I, I only remember one by Cryo, which was the first June one. That there was a like a turn-based strategy element, mm. and then you would go in and talk to Fremens and things like that, and you would go out into the desert. So it was a sort of this, this unusual amalgamation of of like strategy and an adventure game. But it, it worked quite well. It's one I I remember quite fondly. Has anyone played the the most recent June strategy game? Spice Wars. Yeah. Um. I haven't, but I have. After I watched the um, the latest movie last year, I have to say I was kind of tempted, um, but I haven't as yet. It's quite good. It's uh, it's not bad. It's kind of like a mini paradoxy game, like Europa Universalis, with a bit of RTS in there. I guess you could say almost like a two D, kind of a two D um, Total War esque type thing. But um, I think I'm reaching for this how to, to, to classify it. But yeah, it's, it's not a bad little game, actually. And there's a big uh, Dune survival game in development at the moment. I don't know if anyone's seen that. Awakening. Um, yes. Yeah, no, Awakening does interest me. It's, um, um, but yeah, it's interesting. It's by Funcom, isn't it? And, yeah. and, and I understand that uh, a lot of the team involved with Conan Exiles are involved with this. So I hope that um, they've learned a lot from Conan Exiles and will uh, implement it into Dune Awakening. Yes, I think Conan Exiles is probably the last game I reviewed ever. Oh, right. I think it's for Eurogamer, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, but I think there's there's one problem I think I have with the Dune games, and that is they tend to all, it just there's just sand everywhere. I mean, you know, it, when it comes to visual variety, it, they're not particularly conducive to that. So um, you have to kind of, for, as a developer, you have to work hard in other areas to make sure that you, you, you ensure that the player's interest is maintained. And I suppose that the problem with this one is that they're just kind of relying on past glories, I suppose. Probably. Um, another review I quite enjoyed, Mark, is your um, Evil Dead review. Yes. Which is even more... <laughs> scathing. Even more scathing than, than Keith's Dune review. You gave it a fairly a fairly average 56%. Yeah, that, that's like giving it like 0%, really, yeah. considering how I've, how I've graded. Yeah, have, I was going to ask, have you played the most recent Evil Dead game? I have. Um, I, well, I tried it out... Because it's it's on PS Plus, isn't it? So I thought yeah, yeah. I'll give this a bash. But um, I mean, it's very much a multiplayer game, and so I was just trying that out on my own. So it's still, I mean, I wouldn't say I enjoyed it all that much. 
still doesn't seem like a great use of the license, but um, obviously better than this piece of crap. And there's your Star Trek um, review as well, equally negative. Yeah, although there's a there's a box out there that I'm almost 100% certain I didn't write. <laughs> um, it talks about Star Trek's patronising humanitarianism, which is not a sentence I would ever write. <laughs> And it also calls Wesley and Riker tiresome characters, and only one of those is true. Um, so I definitely didn't write that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love Riker, I'll tell you that much. The thing is, I can't imagine anyone else writing about Star Trek in so detailed a fashion, because I don't think anyone else was um, so, as, as, big a, as, as big into Star Trek as possibly you were. I don't know. I was definitely the resident trekker. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, if I did write that, I was obviously going through some uh, very hard emotional times at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Any other. Oh my God, I've just turned to Erotic Island. I forgot about that. Jesus. That's got to be a Steve Hill one, surely. Yeah, it's definitely Steve Hill. It's got Steve yeah. Hill written all over it. There's another, there's another Mark Hill underneath, The Sims House. You're a busy boy. Yeah. I'm sending you lots of freelance stuff on this issue, Mark. There was, there, there's, um, there's one other game I reviewed um, in this issue, which was Desperados. And um, I do remember that game. And I do remember going to Germany to review it as well. And I remember going out with the developers and a few other journos for some cocktails after we looked at the game. And then eventually getting back to the hotel at about 2, 2 a.m. or something. And then getting up about 4 a.m. to get on a coach to go to an airport somewhere and fly back. And, um, and then I remember being at home. And, and that's, that's what I remember from that press trip. But, um, but yeah, I remember, I remember loving Desperados. And um, it had this, uh, for the time, it had... Uh, a really innovative um, line of sight mechanic, which um, not—I mean, not many games at the time had that. And uh, and then it stu- it was um, implemented afterwards in, in uh, quite a few other games. Um, and then, yeah, the, uh, it was—it was basically Commandos, wasn't it? That Commandos yeah, game, yeah, a Western, yeah. Um, Desperado. It's still going, isn't it? Desperados Three was released yeah. a couple of years ago, so I think there's still a bit of love around for for that series somewhere. Um, so I think it's it stood the test of time. Desperados 3 is great. Um, it is. It is a great game, yeah. Very, I've been enjoying that one quite recently, actually. Yeah, it's decent. Any other reviews stand out for anyone? Oh, you did... You, uh, someone, uh, Rihanna, you did that one, didn't you? Yeah, I remember nothing about it. <laughs> yeah, I did nothing. Like, I... Um, no, I couldn't, p- couldn't pick it out of a lineup. It's it's really bizarre, isn't it? How how that happens. I mean, I you know, same with me for June. I seem and... to have sort of liked it, but yeah. I mean, I I did, uh, you know, as you guys made fun of, I did kind of err on the side of being more positive. Um, but yeah, it's it seems I, I it's weird that I can't remember. I remember so little about it. Like even reading it, it's like nope, does not ring a bell. I tell you what I find quite strange because opposite your summon review is a review I did called Original War. And occasionally I'll like go on to gog.com or something and I'll see it on there and I'll just see all these glowing positive reviews from people and, I, and I'll just think, hang on, I reviewed that. I mean, it was okay. <laughs> but then you look back, people just love it. They look, they look back at these old games that you played like, you know, 20 years ago and they, they just have this 
memory of them that we don't have. <laughs> I'm just wondering why we lack that 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 facility. I think it's because we got dozens of games for free every month and nothing felt special or earned yeah you know you just and, and, and for years afterwards that kind of stayed the same it's like games don't didn't seem to have much value because it was just this thing that we were force fed for years so you, you don't come you don't really appreciate it in the same way as someone who's you know yeah. looks forward to it for ages then buys it and then you know plays it for a lot longer than probably we would have done for it, even for a review. Yeah, I suppose we. It was very rare for us to complete these games as well, isn't it? Really, there were de- there were definitely games that I remember very fondly reviewing, like uh, Divine Divinity, which which kind of, in in a, uh, a strange way, ended up kicking off my career writing for games because I ended up working for Larian uh, on the sort of semi standalone sequel um, Beyond Divinity and. Yeah, I remember really enjoying that at the time. Um, and I think I was one of the few UK press that, that really enjoyed it. I think the Americans really liked it and me in the UK. So I think they just remembered me, uh, you know, waxing lyrical about it. And I remember Ghostmaster as well. Mm. That was one I really loved. Um, and I actually ended up doing some work later down the line for the company that had done a lot of the, the script work on Ghostmaster as well. Um, so it wasn't like there, there, I couldn't remember anything I wrote. It was just like su- there's a there's a blank hole in my head where you know playing Summoner was. Um, I I have no idea why, but you know I I I, I definitely remember the soup test, which I know we're going we're gonna get to later. But yeah, this this was a bit of a blank one for me. I, I you mentioned Divinity there. I'm, did we used to mock you for the, for the Divinity games for liking them? I'm sure we did. <laughs> Probably, I hope so because, like that, obviously they've it's you know they've been going strong for quite a long time, and they're probably the leading. Yeah, they, they've uh, done pretty well, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, they they kind of the leading force. Yeah, um, they they kind of really took over from from Bioware in, for those those kind of in in depth RPGs. Yes. Uh, but yeah, it, I I I had a lot of love for with Divine Divinity. Terrible name. Even the developers agree on that. But yeah, so that my my sort of rapport I built up with with Larian Studios ended up sort of kickstarting uh, doing doing game writing really. So yeah, those are the ones I sort of remember remember the most. And you know, Neverwinter Nights uh, was was a big one for me, but. Yeah, there were so many small games that you had to do, especially if you were like a staff writer or or, or freelancer. You got a lot of small ones that you usually had to play in the office, and it wasn't the, the best best environment. I, I suddenly had a memory just now of um of you coming up to me in the office one day, Rihanna, asking, oh, I think you must have reached out to Larian. You must have done the review for Beyond Divinity, and I think you reached out to Larian. And I think you came up to me and said, oh, I spoke to the lead designer or something. Can we? maybe we should do an interview or something and i'm like no <laughs> no we shouldn't who are these people but i mean i'm, I'm curious it's because was was divinity your first kind of gig i suppose your first narrative gig my first narrative gig yeah so i worked as a story editor on that so just sort of helping kind of polish up the script on on beyond divinity and i did a yeah. little bit of original content and i wrote a novella for it that um that i don't think was very good i can't remember anything about it i think it's entered the divinity canon though so writers um are on the project are, are kind of given that as, as in part of their like 
uh, party pack of of material to read. So I can only apologise for that, and, and I hope it inspires them to do much better things than I did. Um, but yeah, I was just thinking. Sorry, because uh, Martin, because you you did no, no, well, you still do, of course, but you know, you kind of got started in narrative, and and you, Mark, uh, Mark as well. Is that is that how you? how you got started is that you kind of reached out to the developers while you're on well, not necessarily while you're on zone but the process of getting to know developers on zone and then kind of just reaching out afterwards um <clears throat> i wouldn't say that when we got to know developers we got to know them specifically no, no, with no. a plan in mind to go off and do writing but yeah of course you know we got brought into yeah. contact with lots of developers and publishers while we were at the magazine um you know what is actually quite interesting is that on this call, you've got three people who all went into game script writing after they finished at Zone. Yeah, that wasn't intentional. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually a photograph I think Mallow's got where it's the three of us all sitting beside each other at our desk <laughs> at PC Zone. And to think all these years later, all the games we've written, who would have thought it, eh? <laughs> well, it seems that a lot of game journalists go one of two ways these days. They either go into develop- development, particularly on the narrative side, or they go into PR. But I think, you know, we, we started a wave. The zoners started a wave, I think. Or they stick around on print magazines for 20 years. <laughs> what have I done with my life? <laughs> okay, yes, yeah, shall we get on to the um, super test then? Let's do it. Yes, one I remem- remember fondly. Because mm. I think it was the first time Phil got to dress me up. And actually, he dressed me up as a male character. <laughs> yeah. I mean, looking at this, so it was a, a stealth game super test. And for some reason, we seem to do quite a lot of those. I don't know why. Um, because when I'm reading this super test, I'm like, well, that's not really a stealth game. There's a couple of games where Keith or, or Mark say, oh, this definitely isn't a stealth game. And it is. It did seem like one of those classic super tests where it was just an excuse for us to um, get the dressing up box out. Dress up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But I think Rihanna, I think you look amazing as as, as a, an assassin. Definitely the best out of everybody. <laughs> You're the only one that doesn't look like an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what on? What am I? What am I doing? What in that particular <laughs> That's picture? A great place. What does it mean? What? I I think Presley's uh, yeah. Presley's great as well. Actually, he does look good as well. Yeah. Great, yeah. yeah, he, he um, was it, born to be a model. <laughs> In, interestingly, that um, I I ended up working on a thief game, which I don't talk about very much because it didn't do it, it. It just wasn't a great experience. But they actually had that picture of me in their art reference folder, and they didn't know it was me. Wow. Yeah, use that picture. No, I, I've seen that picture a lot. So, I mean, you've used it. On, did you use it on social media and, and stuff for a while? I may have. Yeah, I may have used it as, uh, once, but I also um, the one that's a little bit further in, which is the headshot where I'm looking angry with an arrow. Um, that was made into a like a Baldur's Gate portrait. Oh wow! Uh, and like, so I could, and, and it was. This guy that did took a lot of um, you know images of real people and turned them into to ball, uh, kind of Baldur's Gate type portraits, and so I could actually, if I, when I was playing Baldur's Gate, I could load up my own picture and play as me. Um, so that was pretty cool. But yeah, it was it 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 came out nicely. Uh, but I think the um, I remember being, the gloves being massive, 
the black thing I was wearing was basically a sack. Um, so yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> it came out as well as it did, really. So I think probably should point out for the benefit of listeners. So we've got Mark Hill dressed as JC Denton, I believe, looking pretty good. Oh. And then we've got Paul Presley as um, um, Hitman. Hitman. Yeah. What's his name? Agent 47. Agent 47, that's it. We've got Keith as Keith. <laughs> well, uh, the thing is, I'm wearing some sort of elaborate neck brace for a long haul flight. I mean, what, <laughs> what, what, what is it? So, I guess you're supposed to be Solid Snake, yeah? Oh, am I? Yeah. Well, that's what oh, I assume. Okay, so. I didn't get that. Yeah. Okay, Mel, get yeah. All right, that makes sense. I'm with you. And so, and and Rihanna's Gara, and I'm the IGI guy, I guess. And I've been, I've got a memory of. Um, Chris Anderson, who's being, he's playing the victim. I think we wanted him to dress up as something, and he refused to. He wouldn't dress up. <laughs> he's got the expression of a man that looks like he he's not going to dress up. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't want to dress <laughs> up, does he? I don't understand why that was. That was by far the best part of the super dress. Yeah, I love dressing up. <laughs> yeah, I mean that is definitely one of the better ones. Oh, I guess we should talk about the games though. And um, yes. what was the winner? It was. Was it Deus Ex? It was. It was. No, no. The, Hold on. The, it must oh, be Steve 2. Yes, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, Steve 2 is a great game. It's, it's one of, still one of my, my all-time favourite games. And, yeah, I had, I had you know, great fun with that. And I think it's it's sort of, you know, graphically, it's it's not great. But I think uh, as a game, as the, and the gameplay mechanics of, you know, they still work well. Um. And it was really nice to be able to, uh, you know, even though it didn't turn out that well, the, to, to kind of work on a safe game. And there was a lot of potential there that, that, that maybe didn't quite get realised. But I, I got to to work a little bit at the start, at least, with, with Stephen Russell, who's the voice of Garrett from uh, Thief, Thief 1 and 2. And that that was really cool. Um, I wish things had gone differently because I was such a big fan of the of the IP. So so which, what Thief was that? Rihanna, was that the... So it was the one that was sort of rebooted by by Eidos Montreal. I think they just uh, kind of called it Thief again. Yeah, they did. Um, and it was a sort of there was like a graspy hand thing. I can't remember whether it ended up having nail varnish on the hand. I remember at one point it was like the like Garrett's hands had like black na- black fingernails, and it was not black from dirt. It was black as if he was like at home of a night painting his nails. It was kind of odd. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I you know it was actually a, one of the few games where I'd sort of push myself forward to get an interview to work on because I was such a fan of it. Um, and yeah, it's like you know, never meet your heroes kind of thing. Um, Did you yeah, use the it's... super test as part of your interview? As, as your <laughs> no, I, I never discovered. I never discovered that my um, my my pitch was actually in there. There are reference folder for a while. Um, and then, yeah, I just was rummaging through and just found it. It was, it was, it was kind of bizarre. But mm. you know, you, you, you've, uh, you, you know, you've got three game writers, so you've always got projects that don't work out as well as you'd hoped. Like, you know, quite a lot of projects sometimes. But um, I hope maybe it will come back in another form because I think it's a really, uh, it's, a, it's a really good character and world. Um, it just, this just wasn't the the time for it. It it almost feels like um, the thief mantle has been taken up by dishonoured a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. 
Um, and I know, I know the uh, when I was working at IDOS Montreal, that I think they were slightly suspicious of me at one point because Dishonored has a Pratchett in it. Like they actually have a character with the surname Pratchett that you have to. I can't remember what you have to do. They either have to kill him or knock him out. And I, I sort of knocked him out and then carefully placed him on a bed gently. Um, but yeah, they they uh, they thought maybe I was like leaking stuff to dishonored people um, because we were working on Thief at the same time. And I'm thinking that's not that you know why why flag flag up my name in a game? Surely that's a little bit of a, a kind of too much of a pointy arrow uh yeah. pun intended but um yeah no dishonored definitely kind of did what i think thief that the, the thief reboot was hoping to do but yeah it was it, it was sad it was it was not a not a a great memory for me so it wasn't a good memory for me either because i was working on games tm magazine and we had thief on the that thief that thief game on the cover I think I lasted three months in that job. I hated it. it wasn't great for me either. You hated you hated the, the the magazine, the job, or thief. I hated Imagine Publishing. Okay. No, the magazine's great. Love the magazine. Um, and Thief was all right. I mean, not really been in, into any of the Thief games to be honest. Um, and if anything, that one was probably the most accessible, um, the most recent. So it's probably the one I've played the most, if if I'm if I'm honest. But I can understand why people love the original ones. I adored, absolutely adored the Thief games. Um, and I think in this, in this super test as well, it kind of, it seems to boil down to us really arguing about whether Deus Ex or Thief 2 was going to win it, pretty much from what I can gather. Um, and, and I think at one point I said that Deus Ex wasn't a stealth game. It was kind of like, you know, an everything kind of game, which I think is, is partly right, but now, in retrospect, I think that this Deus Ex game was probably the best stealth Deus Ex that that they released in the the entire series of of games. Really, I mean, I'd agree with that. Deus Ex Absolutely. Two, yeah. Deus Ex Two wasn't really uh, a stealth. It was basically a first person shooter, wasn't it? With a with a few kind of little RPG elements and um, uh, Deus Ex Human Revolution. Yeah. You could start off playing as as you know, try and play it stealthy, but then no matter what you did, no matter how you built your character, it always ended up kind of just you powering through at the end with with guns. So, um, yeah, I think I think I did it a disservice actually in in this super test. Um, I I voted for Thief Two, which I think was the right decision, but I think I I, I was overly critical of the stealth elements on Deus Ex. Hitman has done pretty well recently, isn't it? Yeah. That's probably is that probably the one that's on here that's well it well it must be, isn't it? The one on here that's kind of survived the years. Yeah, I think it's had a real resurgence because it does some really clever things with stealth that you know it's not just a case of just not being spotted. There's loads of different ways that you can solve things. You know, you can knock out mm-hmm. someone and dress up as them to infiltrate and access a different area. You know, it does some really interesting things. Um, whereas I think a lot of stealth games are about just not being spotted. Yeah, I think Hitman games do. I think they do um, innovate quite well, but I've never, I've never really got on with them. I've always found them too serious, like and quite disturbing as well. Like they were designed for real hitmen to play on their day off. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. They, there is a, there is a feel that I guess they have a, 
I find this. I find GTA similar. Is that you feel there's a guilty pleasure in it, and I suppose it's the same with the Hitman games. Yeah, are they still developed by IO? Yes, it's all IO does now, isn't it? That's, they they basically just do Hitman. Right. Okay. They've done. Yeah. I mean, they've done incredibly well. I think to sort of keep that um, IP going, keep it fresh, keep keep it interesting, um, and seemingly grow the audience as well. So yeah, hats off to them. Um, let's move on to uh, the Reader Awards, which was this issue where where I believe we had a vote for the reader's favourite games of um, of the year. Does anyone remember this? No. Vaguely, but very vaguely. And looking at it now, it just seems like a, a very cheap way to fill a lot of pages. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I guess so. We didn't really do these kind of end of year, best game of the year type things, really. But what I there's two things I remember about doing these awards. One is that um, I can't remember why we why the publisher wanted to bring them back. I, I can't remember. But halfway through organising them is when Dennis bought CVG and the player, and along with that came the Golden Joysticks. Probably something to do with sponsorship, didn't it? Yeah, but I think we'd already announced these awards, and it was too early to bring back the the golden joysticks i think so we just kind of carried on i think it only had one year didn't we yeah. we did these for one year yeah. and then i think with the golden joysticks after that yeah and the other thing i remember was the massive metal zeds the, the awards mm. themselves yeah i do remember those yeah which were so which were beautiful and i wish i had one they had some real heft to them didn't they yeah you could yeah you could murder someone with one of them. <laughs> definitely and um, the only thing I remember about the awards, the awards themselves is they were in some Soho conference room. Um, did everyone go to them or was it just me and Dave? I'm sure everyone went to them. I don't know. Any memory? No, I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't remember that at all. Oh, I, don't, right. I don't think I went to them. I don't remember going to those. I remember going to lots of things, but I don't remember going to those particularly. I mean, it, all, it, all it was was just a meal, really, and a, and a room with... 50 people in it or so it wasn't very big i think it might have been just you and dave yeah it might have been but i really wasn't looking forward to it so i i probably drunk a bit too much and <laughs> kind of slurred my way through my uh my speeches because i think I, we present we kind of alternated the awards me and dave and presented them and um yeah i think by towards the end of them i, I do remember being a bit slurry probably wasn't so who else was in the room was it um uh, developers publishers yeah, mostly, yeah, mostly, yeah, not really developers. I mean, there some of them, because I think we, we kind of reached out to the winners and so they did come along. So, so for example, I do remember Creative Assembly uh, being there. Um, obviously, IDOS won a lot of stuff, so there was a lot of people from IDOS there, but mostly from, from the publishing office in Wimbledon. Okay, sort of marketing, PR yeah, type, type yeah. heaps, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't that impressive, really as award ceremonies go. In fact, it's probably the least impressive one I've ever been to. <laughs> um, which is, is probably isn't saying much. But yeah, I guess I yeah, I guess no one really went then. But uh did the readers have pretty good taste, do you think? Did they vote for this? Or did we pick this? Yeah they did. They did. They did. Right. Yeah. Well definitely. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say no because Boulders Gate two, I think it is, came second all the time. Mm. 
I think it's, uh, or maybe I'm thinking about something else. I oh, know, there you go. Yeah, runners up. Oh. I was second in, in best RPG, yeah. I was second in, yeah. in best game, game of the year. I mean, it was, it was a t- I suppose it was tough to be against Deus Ex and, and, you know, but I mean, yeah, thinking back, Baldur's Gate 2, Deus Ex, they're both classics, aren't they? It's, it's one, of, you know, one of those kind of situations where two, two beauties come along at once. Hard to choose. It's quite strange that the whereas Idos won like about five or six awards out of all of these <laughs> in the sports category, they didn't, and it was t- Tony Hawk's, which is uh, they, and they, they were still um, doing um, championship manager at the time as well, weren't they? They were. Yeah, I think it was CM4, isn't it, where they where um, Sports Interactive moved on? Is that right? I think it was about two thousand and five that they that that Sega yeah. bought them. 2004, 2005, something like that. So really, our readers disagreed with Steve Hill. <laughs> yes, and and who can blame them? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what's, what's interesting to me looking at it now, and considering like like we said, we've got three writers here, is that there was no category for like best story. I was just about to say that. <laughs> and it's basically because I mean, story was still such a new thing, wasn't it? It was like, should we have writers? No, we shouldn't have writers. Um, the, it was. I'm not sure. I'm not sure any of these games actually had like proper dedicated writers. I mean, maybe they were employed like a screenwriter for some of yeah, the stuff. I, but... well, I mean, Planescape Torment as well, though. I mean, Planescape Torment, Black Isle. They're they're full of narrative geniuses, aren't they? Yeah, that was good as well. I don't think necessarily it was that there wasn't stories in games. I just don't think that stories in games necessarily got much attention. And either during the development process for the majority of developers back in that day, um, or really in the press either, it wasn't really something that was talked about. And if it was, it was like, oh, isn't the writing terrible? Isn't the acting terrible? Mm. Um, And I think that's something that's really changed over the last 20 years. But yeah, no, that struck me as well. I was looking through this and there was no, no, no award for best narrative. And I mean, in Planescape, Tom got the pieces on editors award. I mean, like you said, I mean, that's, that's like a legendary game for its writing. Yeah. Something, you know, I always uh, mention in interviews, is like I never, I don't know about you guys, but I never found a me. Like no one ever sat me down and said, this is our writer. Mm. I don't even think anyone sat me down and said, this is our you know, designer that does some writing. Like I never met another game writer. I just sort of kind of fell into the job and then decided what it was. Like no one... You know, it, it wasn't even a focus for the develop. You know, the developers in in terms of even pushing the writers that they may have had forward, because um, obviously Baldur's Gate would have had writers, and, and you know, Planescape Torment had uh, a lot of good writers as well, but they weren't being pushed forward for their writing. Yeah. They were always like maybe doing something else, whether it's design and writing was very much of a second secondary thought. Um, but you still got just looking at the the top one hundred the the action adventure games. A lot of them have, yeah. You know, there's there's really solid writing in there. You have got Grim Fandango, right at the top. Even like you know Discworld Noir is is the number two. And you've got a lot of, well, at least the one and two are you know solid narrative games. You got you know Escape from Monkey Island, um, and you've got some you know we, there's still games that are remembered fondly for their narrative it's just mm. like it was so weird that no one really talked about it yeah i think they were unfortunately i think they were the minority though weren't they i think the majority of games didn't place that much emphasis on narrative but i think it was round about this time that things started to change a bit 
Um, and, you know, writing within games was becoming more important and, you know, the, the the role that it played within games was becoming bigger and bigger. Uh, yeah, like you say, you could see things like in Planescape Torment, for example, or Deus Ex. You know, there was there were some really good narratives in there. But for you know, for every one really good one that you'd had, you'd have ten where they clearly didn't care about narrative at all. Mm. Um, apart from Erotic Island coming out. <laughs> well, obviously, apart from that one, you know, that still. Why remains, would you play that if not for the story? <laughs> remains a masterpiece to this day. Um, but... So to follow that up, then when you guys kind of. Because it was it was only a couple of years after this when you were reaching out into the narrative kind of world, I guess. Did you find um, could you sustain your work just doing narrative work, or did you have to do other things as you know to to get by? Uh, initially, yes. So I I was still and and I I think maybe it was probably the same for from uh, Martin and Mark. I was doing uh, writing whilst doing journalism at the same time and then like I just started doing more more and more narrative work um and that's because the right were starting out in the writing it was kind of small stuff it was like story editing or doing some mission dialogue or doing some level dialogue of, or being very much of a secondary writer and it was only when I started working on on Heavenly Sword which is my sort of first big game that you know it started okay this is this is turning into a career this isn't just something I do on the side this is now a career um and then that's sort of when I was stop doing the journalism stuff um pretty much although wikipedia still thinks i'm a journalist but that it kind of mm. sticks really it's like the, the brief few months when i did some pr and everyone thought i was a pr person for 10 years i wonder then if, if there was a narrative award in these in these awards i wonder what i guess it would have been dare sex winning it then Probably, maybe, yeah. like, maybe Planescape. Planescape. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Planescape was a pretty impressive. I mean, there was like novel, entire novels in that game, yeah. wasn't there? From what I remember, or like it was cr- like a really impressive piece of writing work. Yeah, all the characters as well, the character development. It's um, yeah, it was very impressive. But Deus Ex was very, very good as well. I yeah. think it was very. I mean, I can't remember them well enough to make that kind of call, but. They were both. They both would have been worthy winners, I think, from what I remember. It's very much transitional period because it's like RPGs and adventure games. It's like, yeah, you can have writers, but everyone else doesn't need them. I mean, even something like looking at the runners-up on first-person shooter. There's the Star Trek Voyager Elite Force. You'd think that they would have a huge pool of writers to call upon to to do their stuff there, and it's obviously been written by the developers because. I actually tried it recently because it's on mm. good old games, um, and I wanted to kind of like see what it was like after all these years. And it, it is as basic as you can imagine. Well, the, the one thing related to this actually that I was going to bring up as well is um, I don't know if anyone read uh, Dave Woods' uh, editorial leader, the beginning of the issue. Yeah, um, yeah, where he talks about open world game uh, games are the next big thing and. Thus, people will still play linear get stories, get driven games, but really the open world is the future. And, uh, well, how right he was. Yeah, it was totally spot on, wasn't he? I think, um, I mean, I, I think we were all still slightly kind of um, shell-shocked by Deus Ex as well, which wasn't actually that open. But um, I, I remember doing a, 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 an interview with the developers. I think it was a, a games that changed the world short about a couple of years after Deus Ex. And, uh, I can't even remember who it was I was speak, speaking to, but he said it was all smoke and mirrors. It was all smoke and mirrors. You know, they just created this impression of an open world, but actually it it, it wasn't at all. And I, and I think that um, 
along with um, quite a few other games, just kind of inspired a lot of developers to, to start experimenting and, and trying and and seeing what they could come up with. But yeah, but there's too many open world games now, isn't there? They're just all over the place. You don't you, you don't know what to do, where to go. I always get choice paralysis. God, yeah, absolutely. Doesn't doesn't he talk about black and white in his editorial? Yeah. Yes. Talk about smoke and mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> well, he talks about meeting some fictitious lady but uh yeah it goes a bit all over the place um (laughs) (laughs) but that's meandering isn't it (laughs) (laughs) yeah but like i say i think that is the zone way we all just kind of went wherever it wherever our writing took us i'm still trying to get over the fact that games were 29.99 yeah (laughs) 30 quid for a game for triple a well, in, in my copy of PC Zone, I've still got the the inserts. The um, you know the the insert that says buy three games for two ninety nine each. Do you remember them? No. Oh, hold on. Was that the one if you like took out a subscription yeah. or something? Yeah. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. I mean, I've still got those sat in my my copy of the magazine. Actually, one thing I did notice, if I can find it now, which I probably can't, is this was the issue where we did the first. PC Zone Readers Challenge. You know where we played Counter Strike oh. against teams of the, against the readers, and I remember going to the playing fields and talking to the guy who owned it at the time called Edward Watson, yeah. and basically kind of negotiating the fact that we could we could use the playing fields for this thing. And eventually, we actually negotiated a thing with them where we gave them like you know we had like this token that you could cut out of the magazine and get like a free hour at the playing oh, we, field. We, we have that think... in this issue. There is a, a cutout. Oh, is yeah, there? Okay. Yeah. I think this was the first issue we did that challenge. I'm just trying to find it now. Yeah. It's in the end of the new section. There's a little cutout coupon there. Cause I looked at it earlier. And I was like, Oh, would I destroy my magazine if I did, did that? And yes, I would. Yeah. But of course, yes. Yeah, so this reader's challenge, was it PC's own versus clan CZR? Yeah, yeah. I imagine we got. Destroyed. I think that might have been the only. No, I think we won. I think oh, that was really? the only. I think that may have been the only time we ever won. <laughs> <laughs> what page is it on? Do you know? Um, well, the reader's challenge is on the last page of the online zone, little mini magazine there. Back in its early days. Yeah. I have a very strong memory. I don't know if it was that challenge, but there was one challenge where. I had my finest hour. We were getting completely massacred. And I managed to climb onto this cabinet and just kind of camp there. And everyone who came to the room, I managed to kill. Was that in real life or just during the game? (laughs) Well, you you never know. There was a bit of crossover there (laughs) with my anger issues. (laughs) Well, well, I didn't really come across in the issue at all. So you're all right. (laughs) Talking about the Reader's Challenge, I guess this is around the time we were still playing Counter Strike. Yeah, I think and we really... maybe playing a bit of Quake Three. I think Quake Three was starting to diminish at this point in terms of our interest, and I think Counter Strike had become yeah. more consuming. Yeah, Rihanna, do you remember? I don't remember you ever playing like shooters in the office. Did you ever indulge? I did. I played Counter Strike. I played Counter Strike. I think. Um... A little bit when I first got the job, um, and I, I think the first person I ever shot was Dan, who, had, who was the one that recommended me for the job in the first place. Um, but yeah, I played a little bit of it, and I, I went again. The, the, uh, 
I remember the, 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 either first or second week, it was like the first week was the 24 hour Cossacks tournament down at the playing fields. And then the next week I went to Dallas with, um, uh, the, the UK number one and two, uh, Quake players, Quake three players to sort of follow them on their adventures at the, the like kind of the big, uh, oh. esports. Oh, that was the QuakeCon thing article. Yeah. That was really good. Yeah. 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 Um, and that, yeah, that was a lot of fun to do. Um, and, you know, I met, met George Romero there and, and like Sue Joy Roy, who is the UK's um, first professional gamer, who's a, who's a good friend of mine now. Um, but yeah, I, I, I didn't play it with the, with the zeal that you guys did. But yeah, I did dip in now and again. Keith, did you ever turn up to the office for a bit of Counter-Strike? Never. Um, I was... I was terrible at first-person shooters. It really wasn't my thing at all. Didn't have, didn't have the reflexes. Didn't have the the kind of peripheral tactical awareness that you need. Um, yeah, no, it just wasn't just wasn't my thing. Ne- never was. Never has been. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Well, before we kind of bring it all to a close, is there any anything that anyone spotted in the issue? Any little kind of interesting little things that recipes may have missed that they'd like to bring up phone numbers that's what yes. i was saying yes you put the phone numbers next to people's names which i think was shortly uh, removed after i started getting dirty phone calls and i'd pass them on to, to martin who would shout down the phone at them i'd always try and deal with your your phone calls when some weirdo called you up breathing yeah. heavily down the phone <laughs> yeah you were that oh gosh I, I i can't believe that actually that happened how to make you feel really welcome right some <laughs> It was more like the, the fact that the, that the publisher thought it was a good idea to put people's numbers next to their names, like let alone whether it was whether it was, it was a woman. But you, God, that would not happen these days. No. Well, I, I do remember I was speaking to who was I speaking to? Uh, Paul Lakin, the launch editor of Zone, and he was saying it wasn't really. I think it was him, and he said it wasn't really a problem. They used to get people trying to speak to. Macker or, or Duncan McDonald or something, but people would tend to not call until after school, so it'd be about four, five o'clock <laughs> in the afternoon. But it was never a problem. I don't remember getting too many phone calls. I got loads. That's because they were all sent to me. That's why <laughs> <laughs> I had to deal with all the weirdos who <laughs> would ring up and leave these ranting messages on my answer phone. <laughs> Right, I think we've we've suitably exhausted this issue. Has anyone got any final thoughts about you know how, how it ranks in the great? I think it's quite a forgettable issue, actually. To be honest, like in yeah. the grand schemes of things, I, it doesn't linger in my mind. But then again, I wasn't in this one a huge man. I wonder if I was on summer holiday or something when this came out. Well, you got a spaceship on the cover with your Independence War. That's true. Preview, which which is a rare thing to get a spaceship on the cover of uh, PC Zone. So I, I, I see you, salute you for that, Martin. Um, yeah, I supp- I think um, I think the iconic thing in the issue is probably the super test. It's it's definitely one of the the better ones. Yeah, it was a great shoot as well. Great photo shoot that one. But it is it like I think like I said earlier, it's a 
it is an enjoyable issue. It is an issue where you're like, okay, there's nothing major here. But then I just kept finding finding myself dipping in and out of it all the time, which is one of the great things about magazines that you don't really get anymore. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. And so even though it doesn't have the iconic cover, it doesn't have the big game, the big whatever, it's just got a bit of everything. It's just a, a, a solid a solid issue of PC Zone. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. I think there's a lot of mention of some pretty classic games or what what have gone on to be games that we all consider to be classic stuff like deus ex boulders gate 2 planescape torment um thief 2 you know i've been talking about all of these games and this you know they they are well remembered yeah it's good stuff um right then if, if if we've got nothing else to um to discuss then i guess we'll we'll wrap it up there so um Thank you, Keith. Thank you, Martin, Cheers, Mark, Richie. Rihanna. Thank you, Richie. Thank you, Richie. Thanks, Richie. Cool. Thanks, guys. Good to speak to you all. Yeah, take, take care, care everyone. Bye. 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 PC Zone's alive! Oh, well, who wants to live forever? <laughs> Keith. Yeah. Keith, I've got to ask. I've just noticed this. Cheat Master. Keith, every cheat's best friend, Keith Pullin. That that must have been a challenge doing that every night. <sighs> you have like, no idea. That must have been a literally grit your teeth and honestly, think of the money. Honestly, honestly, <laughs> it, yeah. It, I, people came, came up to me. I know this sounds strange, right? But people would come up to me and go, like, oh, you'll be a Keith. <laughs> It's like one of the most depressing things to have to write ever.